Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief in being. This is episode 108. We want our children to be who they're going to be without shame, without expectations, without limitations, just with like unconditional love. And once they arrive there, right, we're going to like fiercely help them live a vibrant, authentic life. Dr. Kyle Myers is a sociologist, educator, and globally recognized advocate of gender-creative parenting. Kyle's TED Talk, Want Gender Equality? Let's Get Creative, encourages people to rethink childhood gender socialization in an effort to break up the binary before it begins. Kyle is the creator of RaisingZoomer.com and the at RaisingZoomer Instagram account, advocating for letting kids be kids in an environment where everything is for everyone. Kyle has been featured in articles and international media all over the place, and they live with their family in Salt Lake City, Utah. Kyle grew up Mormon, but then started to learn that that gender is a whole lot more fluid, a spectrum, (laughs) and that the gender binary is doing more harm than good. We get into all of that in the interview. Uh, I'm so excited to have Dr. Kyle on the show today. We're talking about their new book, Raising Them, Our Adventure in Gender Creative Parenting, which is out now, available everywhere. I don't have any announcements today, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Dr. Kyle, welcome! Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for thanks for joining. So to start, the question I ask everyone, uh, how do you identify and how has faith helped form that identity? Mm, such a good question. I currently identify as a genderqueer woman. I'm like queer in my gender and queer in my sexuality. I I use they, them, and she, her pronouns. And... I think that my faith, like my experience with faith and religion has had a lot to do with my identity journey, um, for better and worse, like in, you know, complex, nuanced ways. But I, do you want me to just like get into it? I would love <laughs> like, that. <okay>. Yes. <laughs> I would love that. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about, um, I was raised, I was born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is really commonly known as Mormonism. Um, And I was born into a family, my parents had, had both converted to the church. And so I think that that's something that's a little bit unique about like my story in the LDS faith is that often, you know, religion is really intergenerational, you know, and like you are the religion that your parents were, that their parents were, you know, a lot of time. And my parents both converted into the LDS faith in their like late adolescence, early 20s. And so that I think shaped me differently than it did my peers whose parents had been, you know, like born within the church. But 
I was born in 1986. I think that I had this awesome childhood in the 90s that existed in this space between like the pretty gender neutral 70s and then the quite hyper gendered 2000s. Like I just felt free in my childhood. Like the the term tomboy doesn't totally apply to me, but I think it's just because we were just like all kids and there wasn't a lot of like labels going on, which was pretty, really cool and unique. But then when I hit puberty, like that's when a lot changes for like gender and sexuality in the Mormon church. I think I, in childhood, you're just really age, you know, you're just kind of separated by age. It was just this really cool fluid time, actually, even within this church that does have a lot of um, gendered expectations and roles. And once I hit puberty, that is when, you know, the girls kind of get set down one path and the boys get set down another. And so a lot of my adolescence, I was totally being groomed to be a wife and a mother. And I don't remember a lot beyond that future for myself, even though like it didn't totally sit with me. I was like, I feel like I could probably do other things. I could probably have an identity outside of, you know, my relationship to a man and children. But um, it wasn't really something that was really common growing up that that we girls heard. And when I went to, in my adolescence, I started drifting away from the church as like an active member But I lived in Utah at the time, which is very predominantly LDS. And so even though like in my home, you know, like the church wasn't a big influence in my school, it was in my community, it was in my friendship group, it was like there was just totally this like religious air in our community. And so often I say like, I can't untie my identity from this church because there's such an influence on everything that I can remember, you know, like my teachers being of this faith, my representatives being of this faith, like my dentist being of this faith, like it was just, I couldn't untie my identity formation from it. But when I graduated high school, I really wanted to get out. I wanted to like see more of the world. And I went to Europe and there... I was in Germany. I was an au pair there and having a great time and nannying a little child. And I remember kind of turning to faith as a way to like alleviate homesickness. Like there was something about, you know, that was like, well, maybe if I go to like a Mormon church service, an LDS church service that all feel a little bit connected, you know, to home and everything. And even though I was like not active in the church anymore and that that was, so it's always been there, right? Of like familiarity. And I remember going a couple of times and actually being quite blown away by how different the German people were who were in the LDS faith than the Utah people were. I was like, I think something that I realized in Utah the Mormon faith, the LDS faith is just so entangled in every part of your identity. But then in Germany, it was like, I could tell like, oh, like you come to church on Sunday, but like your mail carrier isn't in your ward, your teacher, you know, like it was just an interesting disconnect of like, oh, how religion fits into your identity is, it seems to be a smaller aspect than it was, you know, back home. But I think when I got back to Utah, I had some frustrations with the LDS faith, and it was largely based around homophobia. And it was 
2007 and same-sex marriage was a really controversial topic at that time. And in Utah, where I had grown up and gone to school, there were things that were, you know, I mean, they're kind of, they're called no promo homo laws where teachers, like high school teachers, middle school teachers, elementary school teachers, like public school teachers are prohibited from talking about anything that's same sex related, answering any spontaneous questions from kids. Like it was the homophobia, it was really rampant. And hidden. Like we just weren't able to talk about it. It was just rough. And I felt really, really frustrated. And I myself hadn't come out as queer yet. And I think it's because I had massive amounts of internalized biphobia. And because, you know, I'm like, oh, what a blessing that I was also attracted to boys because I felt like I mean, you know, I mean, I, I kind of say that like in jest of like, it was like, if I would have been like lesbian or, you know, like, like what would my adolescence had looked like, had looked like, but because I was attracted to boys, I was like, I'll just lean into that. <laughs> you know, like it's safer. I won't be sent to conversion therapy. I won't be ostracized from my community. I like boys. Let's, we'll do, we'll do that, you know? And it wasn't until my early 20s that I was in a college class at Dixie State College in in St. George, Utah. And we were supposed to talk about same-sex marriage and my professor skipped that chapter and like refused to talk about it. And I set up a meeting with her and I was like, I don't think this is right. I grew up with these students and we have to be talking about same-sex marriage and affirming same-sex relationships and attraction because I am watching the very few people who do come out in this community be completely ostracized and othered and like we got to talk about this like I just it just didn't sit well with me and it wasn't I didn't even realize like I'm not like an ally here like the reason you're doing this Kyle is because you're queer you just don't know it yet you know <laughs> but and my professor was lovely she was like I I hear you I know she's like last semester I taught this class and these students were like a hateful homophobic swarm and she was like I just thought if there is a gay student in this class like what am i subjecting them to right now you know she just was like she just felt at a loss and she's like i have a gay brother i love him so much i affirm him so much but she was like i just had to like take a breather this semester i wasn't ready to do it again and that's when i realized like i'm just not going to get the education that i need here i'm not going to find the community that I need here and I got to go. And so I went to California where I enrolled in school there and it was the same sex marriage topic was definitely controversial there with prop eight happening, but at least people were talking about it and having difficult conversations about it. And it was there that like, I met my first out lesbian friend. I met, you know, like like these queer people in this queer community. And I was going to like queer nightclubs and like, that was my friendship group. And that's when it started, like things started clicking into place for me. And like, and I could like retrospectively look at my childhood and go, you were a little baby queer and you, <laughs> but you didn't have 
possibility models. You didn't have language. You didn't have any framework to recognize yourself as a little baby queer, you know? And, and, and so it was such a liberating time for me to like click all of these things into place and come out as bisexual at the time, you know, it's like how I came out. And, and I was also like really finding my voice as like a feminist woman. And, and so it was a really great awakening. But I, so I think that like, that's why faith has been such this wild part of my identity, right? In like repressing it and then unleashing it and having to find myself in this Venn diagram of how does my values as like a feminist woman who is worthy of equity and being queer, how does that fit, you know, in the world that I have been brought up in, which doesn't want those things for me. So, you know, like I, I don't feel jaded about it. I actually feel at a lot of peace with like how my life had turned out, but it's impossible to untangle how like my, like I think my upbringing in a faith and my arrival to my identity. That makes so much sense. And I mean, even even as you're talking, I mean, you're, you're kind of talking about these different, just in some ways, even unspoken expectations were so present. And the navigation that you, in some ways you were doing unconsciously, just because it was the world that you were in. And as I'm hearing you talk, like, I mean, you're, you're talking about these things now from a perspective of you have processed, you have I think you used the word like retroactively looked back and, and been able to put language around your experience. And, and I'm so curious, like, I mean, I have ideas just based on the trajectory of your story, but like, how did you get to this point then of doing work around gender studies and being able to talk in these ways of, of even being able to put a framework back on your childhood? I would love to hear some of what then brought you into the work that you're doing now. I think that I always had this like fight for the underdog in me. Like I, I just, I don't have a lot of memories of being a bully or trying to like lead, you know, like the conforming parade. Like, I don't, I don't know what it was. I think it, I think part of it had to do with, like, we moved around so much. And so I was the new kid all the time. Like I was in, I went to so many different elementary schools. We moved to so many different neighborhoods. We moved to different cities, different states. And so I think that even though it was often couched within like the LDS faith and those communities, it was just this like constant like resiliency, <laughs> like training or something. But I, I was constantly meeting new people and trying to introduce myself and meet new people. I just even though I had none of the vocabulary for like social justice, you know, like I think that I it, like it always has kind of like flowed around in me of like being empathic and being compassionate and really wanting to like fight for people who I didn't feel were being who were being marginalized. And so I think when I left high school and left my hometown and started seeing more of the world, I was really open to checking my ignorance. Like it got flashed on me a lot. It got flashed on me enough of like, you know, nothing that I was like, I probably know nothing. Like, you, you know, like it was so humbling. And, and I, in hindsight, 
I mean, I feel, I do feel frustrated with like my education. Like, I just don't think I learned valuable things. I think I learned like the history lessons that white colonizers want kids to learn. And so I think when I got to college and when I was, you know, I was like kind of like thinking on my own, critically thinking, accent, like had the internet and could start, you know, like being exposed to more information, I had these feelings of like betrayal, I think of like, why am I learning about slavery? Like, why am I learning about that as like a 20 year old? Why, like, like why, what happened here? You know? And I think that there's this, like this, like whitewashing and this like white guilt and whatever, you know, like that happened to my education that happens to a lot of people's education. And it wasn't until I got to college that I started learning from like these incredible history professors and political science professors and sociologists and English professors like and psychologists like I just got cracked open you know and and I loved it I mean like I was simultaneously pissed <laughs> you know like yep. like I was yep. pissed that went that like I went to Germany and these these people who I met in Germany knew so much more about American history than I did they knew so much more about like global issues than I did and I just right like it's not like anyone is to blame you know like I also am to blame for this, right? But it was just like, I think I just woke up in my late teens, early 20s about like how much I needed to learn. And I just devoured it, you know, like I just loved learning the history of it and being open to being wrong, right? And being open to questioning everything that I had been taught. And I'm so grateful for that. I mean, I was just like a really a good student, right? When I was ready to start learning and I just ate it all up. And so I think that was what just activated this, like, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my life's work is to help other people learn these stories and help, you know, like help other people recognize that we've been sold some goods that actually aren't great for us, you know, and like in, in the most gentle way that I possibly can in the most accessible way as I possibly can, because that was me, you know, of like, it's a lot to realize that you don't really know the real story, you know, and that just became my kind of like my life's work and my MO, you know, in my 20s of just like, I want to fight for equity and inclusion and celebrating diversity. And that's going to be me, you know, and, and it has been. <laughs> So you're, you're doing this work, you're doing this work in your 20s, you're learning, I mean, you you go and get a doctorate, you're, I mean, you're, you're doing all this work, and eventually, like, I mean, you, you haven't really talked about your husband yet, but you get married, you both decide to have a child, and it seems like in some ways, just in the little bits that I read of your book, like, all of a sudden, all of this stuff kind of comes crashing into, like, a very embodied, real kind of like, oh, we need to make some choices here. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, it's kind of been this like perfect storm of all these things, you know, kind of coming together. I, when I was an undergraduate, so I got a gender studies degree at the University of Utah. And it was in that time that a lot of things were happening, like not only like in my educational life, but in my personal life, like I was meeting transgender people for the first time. I was meeting people who were like gender fluid and non-binary and 
I was meeting intersex people. Like, like I was meeting people whose existence was in conflict with what I had learned as a child, right? About the binary. And so these people who I loved and was friends with. And so I just was like, okay, like human diversity, right? Like is much more than like the boy girl binary. And that just was like sticking with me, you know, of like, okay. And like, and their parents got their gender assignment wrong. And like a lot of this language we didn't even have yet. Right. Like we weren't even saying like sex assigned at birth in 2012, you know, I mean, like so much of this language has just really come into like the mainstream lexicon in the last 10 years in such a beautiful way that I think helps provide framework, you know, for us to like think about these things. And so, so like that was happening of like, I'm dating people who don't fall in the binary, right? Like I'm friends with people who don't fall in the binary. And so it was just awesome. And, but also understanding that like, there had been a lot of pain in their life, you know, or discrimination in their life. And depending on how accepting or not accepting their parents were or their, you know, like their community. So I was just seeing this. And and that's when I was exposed to the idea of gender creative parenting, because there were these news stories about some kids, Sasha in the UK and Storm in Canada. They like each had like one news story written about them in that 2011, 2012 timeframe. And so reading these stories about real people, right, like who were pulling it off, right, who had been like, we're not going to assign a gender, our kids will know who they are. Well, also me knowing people, right, who like maybe if they hadn't have been assigned a gender, maybe their life could have been easier or, you know, more authentic or and so those things were happening in like 2012. And I just kind of tucked it away like, yeah, this resonates with me. Like I could see how because I myself, right, was I was really trapped by the binary and by heteronormativity and by cisnormativity and by this like idea of what I needed to be as a woman, right? The, and and so there was just a lot of that happening of like what my, what could have my life been like if I would have had more freedoms, if I would have had more encouragement, right? Like if people would have believed that I could be something by myself. Um so it was just tucked away. It was there. And then when I went to graduate school, I was in a sociology program and it was it had a focus of like population level health. And so I just read so much about health outcomes and economic outcomes and everything seemed tied to gender. Like just every right like what kind of work you're doing, right? Like it depended on how you were socialized, right? And like these ideal types. And because of all of these expectations around like women as mothers being these primary caregivers, right? Like all of these different things that were happening with like the gender wage gap or the motherhood penalty or like the career ramifications of like women staying home and, and and men who become fathers, their careers getting boosted. And, you know, I just, it was just, I was just watching all of this and watching these health outcomes and watching every day, every day, this is what I was studying. And I, I just started putting these pieces together of like gender disparities don't just happen in adulthood. They are perpetuated and inherited and you know and i just i just was like i feel like we could hack parenting <laughs> in a way that we could give kids these gender freedoms in case they are let's hold space for the fact 
that children might be intersex, they might be transgender, they might be cisgender, they might be non-binary, they might have an identity that we don't have a word for yet. And we could just hold space for that. And then if even if what whatever gender they land on, we could also work to dismantle the stereotypes and bias and oppressions that get unnecessarily lobbed onto these people. So that was my mindset of like, if I ever have a baby, I can't imagine voluntarily putting them into this system. So when Brent came along, um, we met in 2014 and we got married. And before we got married, we were talking about like family values, you know, like, do you want to be a parent? What kind of parent do you want to be? And, and I had a lot of questions, you know, I was like, I feel like I have to cover a lot of bases here. Like because of my upbringing, you know, I was like, I'm not going to be a stay at home mom. Like I really have a career that I love. I have, I, I want an identity outside of family. Like, and he was like, I'm on board, you know? And I was like, and another thing, if we have a kid, I don't see myself doing parenting the traditional way, you know? And I kind of, you know, made all of these cases to him and he was so on board so immediately, you know, which was so affirming and it wasn't a really difficult, you know, like agreement to arrive upon, which I'm so lucky for. And we, you know, we had Zoomer. And so it, like, as far as Brent and I went, we were on the same page. I mean, he he was like, I'm going to need to rely on you. You literally teach gender and sexuality, you know, like as a job, like I don't have the same confidence in talking about this or experience. And, but he was like, but I want to do it. It makes sense. So that was, we had arrived to that and we're really committed to that, you know, and I was committed to like, okay, well, I will take on as much of the work as I need to, to like help our families understand, you know? Hey, I'm interrupting because I want to tell you about my new book, Beyond Shame. Whether you grew up in the repressive purity culture of evangelical Christianity or not, all of us have been taught in subtle and not-so-subtle ways that sex and sexuality, outside of very specific contexts, is immoral and taboo. That's why I wrote Beyond Shame, creating a healthy sex life on your own terms. In Beyond Shame, I help you pinpoint the coping mechanisms you use to manage shame. Then we uncover the lies you've been told about sex and sexuality and give you a framework for helping you move beyond it. Stop living in shame and fear and move into a life of confidence and flourishing. Sound like something you want? Pick up a copy of Beyond Shame today wherever you buy books. And remember, most local bookstores are shipping faster than the big online stores right now. When you're done with it, shoot me a note. I can't wait to hear what you think. You used this phrase of like, well, what if we were to hold space for children in a way that did, that didn't put on kind of all of these societal expectations around gender, didn't assign these things? And I love that language of, of holding space, but but in some ways, I mean, <laughs> your work has, has not just been holding space for Zoomer, but it has been like carving space. I mean, you're moving against the stream that, that you have put... I mean, some language around, but like 
even as I was thinking about this interview and kind of preparing for it, like for me, it just felt like these like wave upon wave upon wave of realization of where I feel like I have done a lot of work around gender, right? Like I was, I was like, this, these are not new concepts to me, but even this idea of what does it look like to raise a child without putting them into this stream and trying to intentionally like push against the stream. Oh, that's, that's a lot of work. I would love to hear about some of some of this journey of gender creative parenting. I like that analogy of of the stream because I get I think it gets at the reality that like we're not doing this in a vacuum, right? Like we don't just like live in the woods without TV, without internet, without interacting with other people. Like we live in a city in the United States, right? Like we are not doing this in a vacuum. And so I like that analogy of a stream because it's it's true, right? It's kind of like, okay, there's this like narrative that I'm giving my child. There's this advocacy that I'm giving my child. There's this framework that I'm presenting to my child. And it's all happening in the context of media trying to teach them really binary ways of gender. It's happening in the context of them going to school with peers who are learning about gender from their families, right? And like kind of bringing that in and just in this world that we live in, right? Like we walk into a store and things are so gendered and divided and marketed, you know, differently. And so we're not trying to like give Zoomer a life that is void of gender. We really want to give them the language and the examples of like how vibrant gender actually is and actually how complex it is and how self-determined it is and beautiful, right? So so just from the very beginning, we've just always narrated the world in an inclusive gender spectrum way. And it also goes far beyond gender, right? Like in an ant, not only are we doing this like anti-sexist and anti-transphobic and anti-homophobic work, we're doing anti-racist work, anti-ableist work. Like, you know, like we're really trying to, to raise a child who grows up with a perspective that like humans are diverse and that should be celebrated, you know? Like, I know that people are like, oh, your life must be so hard. But it's like, well, if, if more people would do this, it actually wouldn't be so hard. If more people would commit to dismantling the patriarchy with me, it wouldn't be so hard. But I also find so much liberation in it and progress in it. And I see it working in Zoomer, right? Knowing like you can change a child's brain to be less biased because <laughs> we learn bias, like right? Like You can learn bias and it also means you can unlearn bias. All of these synapses in our brains, we learn them either through experience or being taught or imagery or whatever. And it was just like, I want Zoomer to know that all people don't fall into these two categories. And so they don't, you know, and I mean, they're also influenced totally by everything around them. And so it's a constant cultural tug of war, you know, like they come home and they might say something and I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, that, that might be what your four-year-old friend is telling you about this, but like, let me try to add to this. (laughs) Even in the way you're describing this, I'm not hearing you say we're trying to like protect Zoomer from 
gender. I mean, in some ways you are, but in other ways, like I'm, I'm hearing you say, like, it's not so much about kind of like trying to like pull them out <laughs> of this world as it is giving them space, but also giving them the tools to be able to navigate it as they continue on in their life, which sounds so engaged. It's, it's engaged instead of disengaging. Does, does that feel fair? Definitely. Like we're just trying to teach them about like we we give them the language that they need to describe their body, how right, like medically or whatever, anatomically correct, you know, but like but then also not trying to put gendered labels on, you know, their body or anybody's body. Right. Like people get to decide what words they want to use for their bodies and everything. So, no, like it's not like we are naive or delusional or think right that there's like there's a way to like get around gender in life it's more of like let's just teach zoomer how infinite this experience is well also i mean like we totally have these age appropriate conversations with them that are starting to set the foundation of like here's what you need to know you know about like gendered bias or stereotypes but like in the beginning i just thought like instead of teaching them these gender stereotypes we're going to teach them counter stereotypes you know and it feels how incredible, right? Like they see that both of their parents work, both of their parents can take care of them, both of their parents cook, both, you know, like they, they're seeing, they don't see a lot of difference in how my husband and I show up as parents or partners, you know? And that's just kind of what we try to do all over the place is just like, they know. They know that there are non-binary people. They know that there are intersex people. They know that there are some men who can get pregnant. They know, you know, like, and it's awesome. Like, they just, they actually know the reality of the human experience. And just even as we're talking, but again, even as I was just thinking about having this conversation and reflecting on my own experience, like, like all of these things are lighting up in my brain that just feel like in some ways feel explosive. I'm also feeling my brain like not just kind of be like, wait, what? Like, 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 and realizing like all of these different places where I didn't know there were like walls, biases, like all of these different things that I was like, oh, I don't, <laughs> I've worked through this. Just like they're piling up. And it's, it's so interesting to think about, like I'd never thought about like, Matthias, what if you weren't enculturated as a boy? Like, how different would your life be? What would you have chosen? Like, the, all of these things that I'm like, huh, I have never thought about that before. And I love, like, even in, like, your TED Talk, you say, like, if, if we're wanting to, ch to close the gender gap, if we're wanting gender equality, we have to get creative. We have to do things differently and you're doing it but you're also inviting other people into that work as well so i'm curious about like for for people who are listening to this and who are kind of having similar kind of like <laughs> wait what <laughs> responses as i've been running into again and again and again i think for a lot of people even for those of us who are queer who have done massive amounts of work around gender this possibility of 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 living in some ways or being raised in an entirely different way opens up grief, opens up anger, opens up, oh yeah, this is so much bigger than I think I even realized. And and I'm speaking from my own experience there. 
For those of us who are just realizing that now, or who are on this this path of, of realization, what advice would you have? What can we be doing? How can we join you? Like, does that make sense? That's a great question, thought, you know, like invitation. I, I have found that I chose not to, I mean, I, 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 I went through my own journey of like anger or grief, you know, around things. But I think I know that people like parents are, I like to think parents are genuinely doing their best, like the best they can with the background they have, with the resources that they have, with the relationship dynamics that they have, like, right. Like I, I, I like to just err on that of like, I like to think that my parents did the best they could and they were also steeped in a culture that was, is cis normative and heteronormative. It, I genuinely think it didn't even cross their mind that one or more could of their kids would be queer. And, and so there was no language. There was no talking about it. There was no examples. There was, there was no even conversations of like, Hey, just so you know, Kyle, there are like all of these different ways to do relationships. And sometimes people are attracted to people that are the same gender than them. Sometimes a different gender, you know, like, like, even if I could have had those types of conversations, maybe I could have start going, oh, okay. Oh, that's me, you know, but like that didn't, that didn't happen. And so I know that there's this grief, right. Of like, what could have been like, I, you know, just even recently I've started thinking through, like, I am mourning the queer adolescence that I didn't get to have, <laughs> you, you know, but like, but I don't want to get stuck there. And so I'm going to choose to lean into now, you know, and I'm going to make sure that this doesn't, that that doesn't get um, handed down to my child. I'm going to make sure they know I have absolutely no expectations about who they will be attracted to. And I want to give them all of the language and models that they need to be able to see different examples of relationships. I want to make sure they know there's no default. I don't think that you are straight until you tell me otherwise. I'm not going to think you are monogamous until I'm not going to think you're sexual at all, right? Like I'm not going to think you are or aren't asexual, just all of it of like, how liberating to be freed of a default. And then, right? Like, I just think that's going to be so cool when Zoomer gets to start telling me if they're interested in somebody and who they're interested in, and never will they hear me say something that's heteronormative or homophobic to them, you know? And so they already know, like we have conversations, like, you know, Zoomer had said something to me of like, can I, like, I think they said something like, can I sleep in your bed forever? <laughs> you know? And I was like, well, you can sleep in our bed for a while, but like one day I think you're going to, you're going to grow up and maybe you're going to have like, you're going to have a roommate maybe, and you know, maybe you're going to want to live with friends or maybe you're going to want to live with a partner, you know? And then, and Zoomer's like, what's a partner? And it's like, well, like a partner is someone who you love and who, you know, like m you want to spend time with and, and, 
then I give examples, right? I'm like, like dad and me, we're partners and Tara and Danelle, they're partners, right? Like I'm giving these different models. So Zoomer goes, so it's not set in like this man, woman, mommy, daddy (laughs) default, you know? And I'm like, and also you might have lots of partners, you know? And, and, and like, so I just think like how different would have my life had been, right? If I wasn't growing up being taught that like non-monogamy is a sin, that queerness is a sin, just, so I try not to get caught up. And I mean, and I know that that is like, that's not great advice of like, let's try not to get caught up in our past and let's just create a much more like inclusive future, you know, but it's just kind of, I, I think that I just, I'm like, these are the cards that I have been dealt and this is what I can do today. And I can process this. Um, but I really do try to just think that my parents really were doing the best that they could. And they showed up for me in my twenties. When I came out, they showed up for me in my late twenties. When I said, I want to do gender creative parenting. And they said, don't totally understand it, but we love you. And you know, like they have showed up for me in so many ways in my twenties and thirties and for my little baby, you know, that I just feel like we can move on. So, I mean, you've, you've had this experience then of, of having, I mean, it sounds like some of the people you're closest to be so supportive or at least supportive enough to then start doing their own work to then continue to be supportive. Like, and I'm so curious because I, because I know there's so many people who listen to this podcast who are not surrounded by supportive people. And I imagine as you have been on this journey, (laughs) you have run across your fair share of people who have all kinds of opinions about what you're doing. How do you navigate that? Well, there's been a lot of pruning of people in my life of like, I can't give you my energy or my time if you can't love me for who I am, you know, and you can't love my family for who we are. And so I do think there's been a lot of like chosen family, you know, like, like, unfortunately, so many of my friendships from my childhood or like adolescence were not able to be sustained because we had such different values, you know, that we, so, so that's sad. Um, We are lucky that we haven't lost any really close family relationships, right? Like all of our siblings and our parents have been affirming of us, you know, like, and, and I think a big part of that though, is also like, we're really, really gentle about, you know, like, like we, we try to not be judgy. We try not to be preachy, you know, like I have a, I have this really long, lovely career of doing this. I can't expect people to be exactly where I am in this, you know, journey. And so I think there's just a lot of trying to center like, okay, what is actually important? Like is having a relationship with this person more important than them understanding gender and sexuality exactly as I do, or else there's no room for a relationship. And so it's just this drip. It's just this constant drip of like, okay, I'm going to let that slide. And then, oh, uh, I'm not going to let that slide, you know, like, but like, how can I, how can I, start this conversation in a way that's not offensive or causes them to be defensive or anything. So 
I think that we have just really decided to invest in the relationships that matter the most to us and then cull the ones that don't, you know, and I know that that's like easier said than done for a lot of people, you know, and that it can be really hard. And also relationships are a roller coaster, you know, like sometimes like I may be at a really good place right now with people, but it doesn't mean that I was always right. Or that like, there are these difficult conversations that have to be leaned into and, there are definitely people who do not agree with what we are doing, but for the most part, they're people who I, I don't need in my life. Like, you, you know, that it's just like, I'm not going to hold on to your thoughts or your feelings or your criticism because I do not need your validation to live this life, you, you know? And so, and that, that has taken years of thick skin building, you know, of like, like I did, I used to hold on, I would hold on to commenters from the internet, who knows who they were, you know, like, but I would just hold on to their criticisms, I would hold on to their abuse, I would hold on, or even or whatever, you know, and it, and it was almost like, that would weigh me down, like I would be so weighed down by this one mean person when there's 20 kind people over here who want to lift me up. You know? And so I think it took a lot of work to be like, to be so intentional of like, who gets your energy, who gets your time, who gets your bandwidth. And like you, you actually have the ability to say, not you and not, and not you, not you. And so I've just, there's just been a lot of calling of the people who don't contribute to a healthy relationship and then really trying to nurture those who do, you know, and like, and, and sometimes it's a really hard reality that like there are certain family members or something that it's just like, no, you aren't good for me. <laughs> so for people listening who are thinking about having children or who do have children who are wanting to start incorporating gender creative parenting this is a massive question. You literally just wrote a whole book on it. Like, where would be like the first place you would send people? Well, there's so many more resources today than there were even when I was doing this. Like, I had nothing when I got pregnant. There's my book. There are news stories. There are so many advocates who have really, who have different backgrounds than me, look different than me, you know, but are are doing this. And so I think there's actually so many different role models that people have now of people who are doing gender creative parenting. It's also called gender open parenting, gender expansive parenting, gender autonomous parenting. Like there's different words for it, but yeah. we're all kind of working towards the same goal, which is like we want our children to be who they're going to be without shame, without expectations, without limitations, just with like unconditional love. And once they arrive there, right, we're going to like fiercely help them live a vibrant, authentic life. And so I I think that if someone wants to do this, like, just like gender, gender creative parenting is such a spectrum, right? There's no right way to do it. There's no wrong way to do it, right? Like there's no, it's not all or nothing. I think that people do this in a lot of different ways. Like some people don't have the safety that I have or don't have the family support that I have. Like they might have parents who 
they like need to use gendered pronouns, right? Just for safety's sake or, or something like that, or like financial security or something, whatever it is. Like, so I, I think that that's really important for people to know is like, there's no right way to do this. You just have to do it in a way that feels right for you. And so there's, there's also no, like, it's never too late. You know, I, I get talked to like, someone will reach out to me and be like, oh my gosh, like, I wish I would have known about this type of parenting. I would have done it. And now I have an eight-year-old and it's too late. You know, it's like, no, it's not. Like, I'm 34 years old and it's not too late for my parents to start gender creatively parenting me. You know, like, like, of course it's not too late. You can, at any time, you get to say, hey, guess what? I know about gender in a different way than I did when you were born. And I took a guess when you were born about what your gender would be. And I just want you to know that I might not have gotten that right. And I want you to know that like, I'm okay with that. Like, and like, this is what I know. These are some options. I assumed that you would be like a cisgender girl and you might not be. And if you're non-binary, you know, like, like, like just that I'm here for you. I just think like the power in communicating like, hi, I might not have gotten it right. Hi, I have totally done a lot of things over the course of your life, assuming you'd be straight. And oh my gosh, you might not be. And like, you know, like I just think showing up with like, as we learn along the way, but I think so many parents are so afraid of admitting that like they might not know the answer to something. They might be wrong, you know? And I think that there's such such beautiful potential for connecting with your child by saying, I think I did some of this, you know, and like, I just want you to know that you can talk to me. And if the name I gave you doesn't fit, if the pronouns I gave you doesn't fit, if like the destiny that I kind of wrote for you, if that doesn't fit, please tell me because you are the person who gets to write your story. You know, I just think that and like, and if I don't know something I'll, I'll try to learn, you know, just like leaning into like, you might have to ask your kid to explain how to use Z, Zir, Zim pronouns, but just do it because that could be the thing that saves their life and makes them have a more lovely life, you know? So it's never too, like, it's never too late. And it can just be these micro opportunities, you know, of like, it's not like you lost your chance, well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. This has just been wonderful. Well, thanks um, for having me. Yeah. How can people find your work? You could go to my website, kylemyers.com. I'm on Instagram at kyle underscore Myers. I'm around. I'm fluttering around the internet and people can find me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank and, you. And um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Be sure to go grab a copy of Dr. Kyle's new book, Raising Them, Our Adventure in Gender Creative Parenting. You can also find Kyle on Instagram at Kyle underscore Myers or over on their website, kylemyers.com. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible through your support. To find out how you can keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. 
A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear in the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next time, y'all, bye! Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.